0: That was good. I I, honestly, I hope the volume is better. I hope that
1: we can hear the words that we are saying. Why are we talking like this? Loud noises. I'm gonna go to bed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good talk, guys.
1: Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put internally at your disposal.
0: Right, so what did you do on your retreat this weekend?
1: Oh man, this is, this is like <laughs> a classic, one of those, uh, objectively I know this is good and I should do this, I should agree to do this, but subjectively, I just want it to either not be a responsibility, or to already be done, so I can look back on it, so I agreed to do it, and I just had a lot on my plate with ordination preparation, and school, and the parish that I'm assigned to as a deacon, this is like a full-on confirmation retreat from like nine to three, it wasn't, you know, I've been at longer ones, but it was just me and Scott basically giving these talks, and so whittled it down to three forty-five 45-minute talks, and then and there would be, like, some music filler and some breaks. Um, and Scott actually did assignment a says. These kids are, like, freshman, sophomore, junior in high school. Oh, uh, yeah. And at one point, I gave my first talk, and the kids hadn't had a break since, like, they got there. They were just sitting in these seats listening to people either sing songs to them and them not sing because kids don't participate in right. stuff like that. And, uh, know, I feel so bad for kids at confirmation retreats because it wasn't that long ago that I was at them myself. And when somebody tells you, don't be self-conscious, just sing God's praise. You're like, Hey, I'm not convinced that this has any value because you've never given me a reason to believe that God <laughs> is worthy of praise. And B I'm in high school and the worst thing in the world right now is to be different. <laughs>
2: And nobody else is singing,
1: and so I'm not about to be the guy that sings. Yeah. Our whole theology of confirmation is so off, too, because it's like, oh, this is the sacrament that represents you choosing to be Catholic. And so all the homilies on confirmation are about, like, you're choosing now as an adult to be a full member of the Catholic Church. And, of course, that's not true. Confirmation is a ratification of your baptism by the bishop who's saying, You are now fully initiated into the Catholic Church. You are not choosing God. God is choosing you to now be a full member of his body and to now Christify the world, evangelize the world with the faith that I say is authentic. But we say these things that are like, you've chosen to be Catholic. Who at that confirmation retreat has chosen to be Catholic? None of them. All their parents are making them be confirmed. Not maybe forcibly, certainly not by the sword, but those kids are feeling pressure by their parents. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone through all those classes. It's a complete fantasy that they've chosen this. And and so I'm just like, let's give them an opportunity. Because the thing that I felt most cheated out of as a kid growing up in the church was the information. Mm -hmm. Just straight, give me the goods. What does the Catholic Church actually teach about? life about god about myself who i am what's the purpose of being here on earth these things that we offer like a vision of life and where we came from where we're going because faith doesn't mean anything unless you know enough to say yes to it Uh, if you don't know who jesus is uh, like in terms of what happened to him what his life was then how do you say I believe that that actually happened? That has an effect on my life. So agree to do this retreat. And again, don't want to do it. Just imagining like I've got to preach a homily at four that day. And the retreat goes from nine to three. And then I've got a thing after the mass. And then I got to come back to school. But it's again, God teaching me in these little ways that like, man, if you got to do whatever you wanted, your life would be so much worse. You know, because after the retreat's over, me and Scott are just like, "That was awesome!" You know, like the kids, the kids were so glad we were there. I I gave a talk on salvation history from, uh, in the beginning there was God, to the creation of the angels, the fall of Satan, Adam and Eve, the fall of Adam and Eve, through the prophets and the law to Jesus, the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, the age of the church, and just told them the whole story. And then I went into what is a sacrament and talked about the Eucharist and talked about redemption. How are we objectively redeemed? And just like in a lot of anecdotes and stories and talks that I've kind of uh, honed over the years, different youth things that I've done. Um, and I made a little PowerPoint and, and things like that, mostly just with, well was entirely pictures because I don't want to make kids read stuff on a yeah. computer screen. I mean, all the things that I hated... It's it's just nice to have that as a reference point. Like, just don't do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. don't make kids read things that don't mean anything to them. And then Scott gave this awesome talk on uh, love versus love. <laughs> you know, and I could feel at the beginning these kids were like, "Oh, I can tell what you're going to talk about. You're going to talk about sex and relationships, and you're." part of the church, so you haven't, you don't know anything yeah. about that, because really, you've never seen whatever Mr. the notebook, yeah. and that's what, you know, like, his
2: company man standing up here. Right,
1: yeah. and Sky gave this awesome talk, how basically, like, he called it pizza love, he's like, look, we say love, and we mean a lot of different things, like, we might say, I really love pizza, oh my gosh, I so love pizza, but what does that mean when you love pizza? Uh, he's like, if you love pizza, what do you do to it? You go buy some pizza, you open the box, and pizza's like, oh my gosh, he loves me. And then you take a piece out, and the piece is like, he chose me. Oh, he loves me. And then you put it on a plate, and you just admire it, and you're looking so forward to this pizza of loving it, uh, and you see the pepperonis and that's your favorite part and you put it on this plate and it's like, oh, I have this plate all to myself and you start, you put things around it like shiny silver things and you light a candle maybe and the pizza's all into it and and then what do you do? You tear off the things you like the most, the, the pepperonis, you eat those and you devour the the rest of it and then you don't like the crust because it's bread and you said you love pizza not bread so you throw that in the garbage (laughs) and then it all gets mashed up in your stomach and turns into poo and you flush it down the toilet (laughs) that's what happens with that kind of love yeah and he used that analogy for like basically all of pornography premarital sex uh like to the guys like you are called to love. And he used Maximilian Colby as the example of love. Nice. You lay down your life through a whole life of practicing, being generous, of, of giving and not taking, mm-hmm. and trusting that God is love and you're participating in that life yeah. every time you do anything loving. Until the fact until the point that it manifests itself in heroic acts that any person can see that is a good man. He gave his life for this guy he didn't even know in a concentration camp, he said, pick me, I'll die instead. Because that guy's got a family, I'm a Catholic priest. So, that versus, I'm just going to take what I like from you, what is good for me, and I'm going to throw away the rest. And what I do like, I'll just devour and use and discard when I'm done with it. Mm. And uh, he called the guys to be men, and he called the girls to call guys to be men. Mm. Like, don't just get pizza loved. Yeah. Don't let yourself... And and <laughs> the greatest part of the analogy was like, you know, it's a lot it's a lot uh, harder to avoid pizza loving someone when there's no box around the pizza. <laughs> it's like Texas <laughs> analogy all the way to the end. And all the people were like laughing and uh, the kids were... They knew exactly what he was talking about. Yeah. And there was girls that were like crying and stuff. And oh, wow. There's only 40, 45 kids or something like that, but... You're so jazzed up by something like that, like, even if it was one kid that, that made a difference in their life, and yeah. who knows, years down the road, but they, they won't JL remember running. who it Yeah. Even, there, there a, was even after being crying. forced to sing, and, oh yeah, definitely. Wow. Probably girls have been pizza leather I mean, they're 16, 17 years old.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Were they, was it primarily Hispanic? Is it a Hispanic mm-hmm. parish? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man.
1: But they all, I mean, they grew up here, so the whole retreat is in English. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was cool. And then I went and preached, and then we went, uh, Scott and I, down to uh, fellow Tom Burns Parish, and we played Irish music for the St. Patrick's Day. That, yeah, it was pretty fun.
0: Damn, that's a full day, dude. Oh, Wait, was the retreat? And Then we Saturday? lost an
1: hour for daylight saving. Oh man, and I had to preach at the eight a.m., which was only the seven a.m. <laughs> oh, that was
0: 7, Saturday 8. that you went down there. Saturday and the yeah. retreat. Oh god, so this
1: weekend's been chock full. Yeah, man. but like I said, I mean. You look, at it, you look at a day like that, it's all scheduled out, 9 to 3, retreat, you're on, 4 to 5, mass, you're on, mm-hmm. 545 to 645, you're on, and then after the virus music's over, you're talking to all these people because you are in clerics, and mm-hmm. uh, just the life of a priest is, I'm just getting glimpses of it, but it's crazy, dude. Yeah. Dude. I mean, on all accounts, the priesthood is just this unnecessary medieval, you know, whatever, a cr- thing that modern society just needs to get rid of, and religion is holding the masses back. And But you just walk into any room full of people and clerics, and some will think you're a weirdo and don't get what the heck you're doing there, but there will be a good number of people that are like, oh my god, I need you. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you something about their life that's the most vulnerable thing, or the thing that's most haunting them. Uh, because... The priesthood to them, it, it represents, I mean, this is the gift to the, to the church that Jesus gave through the priesthood, that he remains present to his people in this way. You know, celibacy, that you, that you want nothing from them, you're just there to give them your time, the Spirit of God through blessing and the sacraments, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But it's hard as heck. When you're a still kind of a selfish person, and you're like, what would really rule is sleeping in. <laughs>
2: yeah, but hopefully, All right, I'm yeah, just going to th- throw this out here. Or yeah. a
1: possibility just to put on your plate, not to give you advice or anything, Lord, <laughs> but a day of sleeping till 10 would be yeah. money.
0: <laughs> Look, I don't know if you can do this, but... I uh, have my Masters of Divinity, so... (laughs) So I'm pretty sure that I've mastered you. Yeah, I know some (laughs) stuff. I think sleeping in. But that's, you know, that's when you see when done right, it is that complete gift of self. Um, That's such a powerful point. I I just love those talks on love. Um, I love those talks on love. They, uh... What kind of love? Well, it's so concrete. You know, hopefully real love. Really, the comparing the two is so effective. Mm-hmm. Because when you see it for what it is...
1: Well, and Scott's just... whole point was like, you know, when evil mm-hmm. rears its ugly head, it's not going to come to you... It's not going to be tempting to you if it's just pure evil, if it's just bad. Right. You're not going to desire the bad. You desire the good. So what sin does is it, it misses the mark. You think it looks like real love. but And we even use the same word for it. Yep. Yeah, I love Snickers and by that i mean that i take snickers out of its wrapper and turn it into poo in right. my body right
0: and i enjoy that process yeah but see the only way that you can really see what evil looks like is to have that gradient to have that comparison to okay this is where this is it is a good thing but this is where it's the privation that's where evil comes in and think about like what examples do young people today have of what good looks like? What heroes, what virtuous people do they have to look at and say, oh, that's actually what good love, that's what real fatherhood looks like? You know, what do they have to compare it to? But like they got the guy who's down the street who, you know, got his, his girlfriend pregnant and, you know, pays child support. That's pretty good. That's kind of a good thing, you know. Mm-hmm. It is. That's good that he does that, but is that the good that we're striving for in fatherhood? You know, what's the ideal that we're holding up and what's the ideal that, They have to compare, but to challenge them and say that every act that you make is either a a response to love or a denial of love, and you're preparing yourself right now to love in a certain way when you get older.
1: That's what I tell fifth graders, too. I mean... It's
0: intense. That means everything you do right now means something concretely.
1: We don't give kids enough credit. Yeah. Honestly. And we talk either way below them or way over their heads. Like a fifth grader can understand the feeling of being bored or ashamed or all these, these things that are spiritual realities, you know, that you're, you feel this angst about life hmm. because you're ashamed of what you've done or chosen or because you're just not doing what God wants. And so you get these negative, like existential feelings. I remember feeling these things at age 10 and 11 and, Uh, but we either say like, Oh, faith is this experience of God's love for you and blah, 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 stuff that they don't have really categories to understand. Mm -hmm. But if you tell them simple truth, uh, um, mostly in the form of anecdotes, like that, that they can understand or analogy, simple analogy, like the pizza thing, a kid gets that. Yeah. And they can apply that, you know, like, okay, I feel bored after dinner at home. Um, maybe it 's because you are being prompted by the Holy Spirit to offer your parents to do the dishes, even though you 're not asked to do them and that little act of generosity which you can do now even as an eleven year old to help your family will train you to be a good person and it'll make you feel good, but you have to get them over that hump and like open their imagination to even think like that yeah and when you and anybody can see uh, when a kid does something spontaneously generous, it warms the heart of an, any adult. Yeah. Because you're like, that's so unlike a child to not act selfishly. and So we just don't expect them to do generous things. And uh, that's ultimately, like that's the fertile ground, man. If you can get a kid thinking like that. That's so true. Then maybe they might respond to a call to something really radical, like a call to the priesthood or or be prepared for a real marriage, the sacrament of marriage where they they give themselves to a person and not just say like, well, it's pretty much standard that uh, you just look around for people that you think that you can get some pleasure out of and use them up. And then when you're done feeling good about them, you just cast them aside and try to find the next person that might be useful. It's like a car or something. Uh, and, And people know deep down that, like, this is a bucket full of holes, and you gave me a garden hose to try to fill this thing up, and it's leaking more water than I'm filling it up with. But as far as I know, that's as good as it gets, just to try to fill this bucket up. And nobody told me about this other bucket that's got no holes, and it's just going to keep overflowing with living water for the rest of my life.
2: Well, yeah. I'm convinced, though, that especially young people... They want to be happy. Mm -hmm. But they just... Exactly. Like, they don't know. They haven't been told how to do it. But they know when they experience authentic love Mm -hmm. in any form. Like, whether it's from um, their parents or just maybe, like, a fatherly figure. Or even seeing it in a little kid, right? Like, a random act of kindness, etc. They know it when they see it. It made me think of... There was a, a priest that I knew a few years ago and he was talking to this, um, in like the early 2000s, he was talking to, I think a Protestant pastor and it was around a world youth day. I don't know what one, maybe it was 2000 in Rome, the world youth day. I don't know. I think the 2000 world year, 2000 world youth day might've been in Rome. And so all these, you know, millions of teenagers are flocking to see the Pope, right? See John Paul II. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so this, this guy was asking father, he was like, how like, how in the world does this old Polish guy that wears weird clothes, you know, get these kids to come to this World Youth Day? And I thought his answer was, he was saying this in a homily, but I thought it was just really profound. He was like, oh, they just, they believe that he loves them. And he was, like, they'd go anywhere to see him. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they're so starved for that. And they could see that in JP, wow. too. That it's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, they just... Like, he says that he loves them. And he means it. And he means it. hmm And, like, they love him for
1: it. Isn't that cool, though? Scott made that point in the, in the talk, too. He's, like, at one point... He, he was really just riffing. Like, he didn't even write an outline. Mm-hmm. I'm very much, like... I'll make an outline. So I have the stories I want to tell and everything Mm -hmm. in order and finish, you know, but he just, I think just trusted in the spirit more than I did maybe. Mm -hmm. And at one point he's just like, I mean like, look guys, this is a Saturday afternoon. I don't have to be here. I've never even met you, (laughs) but I'm just here because I love you and I want your lives to be awesome. Uh, that's so... That's an act of okay, yeah. And the kids... You can just tell the kids are like, oh, wait, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like, this guy doesn't have to be up there talking, and that's kind of hard to get up in front of people and talk to, you know...
0: When it's so... It's an undeniable... It's a living reality. <laughs> yeah. What he's saying right now is actually happening. This can't be a lie,
1: mm-hmm. so I, I should trust this guy. He's know? not trying to get anything out of me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like the people in the choir that are like, sing, sing, you know, (laughs) you're you're trying to get something out of me. Yeah. We were literally just there to give them stuff. Something we'd received that wasn't our property, and we're just trying to give it away.
2: Hmm.
1: And that's the dynamic of grace that will actually bear fruit, I think. Rather than confirmation is you choosing the Catholic Church so... Make sure you do a service project and write an essay of why you chose your saint and earn this sacrament. That's all that stuff that's the message it sends. Yeah. I think. Relax. Where'd you get that food that you were eating? It's from my field outside.
0: Yeah. We had oh we had tons of extra food tonight. We had to we had to actually throw a lot of it away. Like, the guy who usually comes and picks up our extra, <laughs> he just didn't show up.
1: So we were just carting out bread. No one would take it. Dude, <laughs> I had this moment, country. this Pope Francis moment this Sunday. <clears throat> it's actually a recurring theme at my parish where I'm a deacon. Um, the, the whole smelling like the sheep thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lady that comes to Mass, pretty much the 8 a.m. Mass early Sunday morning and uh, she's clearly homeless and do you you know, I don't want to sound crass or, or inconsiderate, but you know the the certain odor Mm -hmm. of a person that's been living on the street and not had, this is one of the big things why one of the most necessary things to give homeless people is like underwear and Mm -hmm. soap and stuff because they don't have a place to really wash or, freshen up or anything, and you can tell they've been wearing the same clothes and just basically sleeping in them for weeks or months. This woman's got a strong odor going, but always has a smile on her face, bright-eyed. Older lady, maybe, I mean, life's obviously been hard for her, but maybe in her 50s or 60s or something like that. Uh, Like when she'll come up to communion, she wasn't even in my communion line, but I could smell that she was there. And, uh, and it kind of lingers for a little while and, and, uh, she's come up to me before at the end of mass when I'm standing in the back and, uh, always smiles at me and, and talks for a little while, but it's like one of those St. Francis things with the leper where he, you know, was so repulsed by the lepers Mm -hmm. until that moment of conversion where he gets up his horse and he comes and he embraces the leper and all of a sudden the bitterness of the world became the sweetness to him. The whole upside down gospel worldview <clears throat> where like the lowest position is the highest and the mystery of the Christian life, basically right. that, that service is power and stuff like that. Um, but to me, it's still this, it's this fight in me. I can feel it like, Oh, I see her coming and I know she's going to want to give me a hug hmm. and I just can't, in my heart of hearts, just keep keep my hand out for a handshake and keep her at arm's length. I'm just like, all right, come to me, come to Papa. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And she comes and just gives me this big long hug. And I, and it's like a few seconds before the wave of the smell hits you. Yeah. But I know it's coming and I know it's going to linger and it's going to get on me, you know, because it's all over her clothes and her breath and everything. But she lives on the street, you know, and, and she, but she comes to mass and this is she's receiving the same sacrament all these other people are that are dressed nicely and have taken a shower that morning and and she said to me after I hugged her she's like we really need you oh man and it was just like really a cool moment where this is what it's about this is the priesthood right here yeah yeah um, that's a lot it's pretty cool that's really a lot
2: that's very cool that's You said earlier we don't respect the, um, you know, respect kids enough. Like, I think in a lot of ways, I know I at least do this a lot, is that we don't just respect and give, like, a homeless person the dignity they deserve. You said there that she's receiving the same sacraments as these people that are, you know, showered and going to. But I know when I go to the homeless shelter at St. Mary's, I find myself just like, Almost talking to them like they're kids. They're you know? them, and then there's us. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Like I've talked to, you know, these these two homeless guys for a while. Like better go, you know, talk to one of the other volunteers for a while. And like I hate it when I catch myself doing it, um, but but I do. But the the church, though, how it should be. It's like, man, that. In a sense, though, like, that is, the sacraments are, like, the equalizer. Oh, yeah. You know, like, suffering is certainly... And look,
1: it's been this way since the beginning, the New Testament. (laughs) Right. The letter to the Corinthians and St. James both says this. Like, at the Eucharist, is what they're talking about, when you guys gather, if the people that are dressed nice, it's straight out of James, the people that are dressed nice and you know, and are wealthy, get a seat, and the homeless and the poor have to sit on the floor or stand, Mm -hmm. then you guys aren't doing it right. Yeah, Paul says the exact same thing. Like, you do not give special treatment at the Eucharist to people who, in the world, have some kind of authority or power or yeah. wealth. Yeah. This is the equalizer. Yeah, it's so true. It's a sacrament of unity. Nobody gets special privileges because everybody is infinitely loved, mm-hmm. and there's no difference in infinite in infinity. Like, I mean, it's, it's a physical representation of what's spiritually going on. Mm-hmm. And that's what's cool about a beautiful church is that it's for everyone, you know. The 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 whole like false dichotomy between oh look the Vatican has all these riches mm-hmm. and the stained glass windows and I if you sold all that stuff to who art dealers who who's kind of, who <laughs>
2: wants to buy a Vatican like mm-hmm. you know who would honestly who would
1: the Vatican is that? there for anyone around there that right. can get there to look at and enjoy and pray it
2: costs. There. 12 euro to go through the Vatican Museums. 12 yeah. euro. Like, probably the greatest collection of art in the entire world. And you're... I mean, that's obviously super crowded and, and everything, but it's like, it's like what, 15 or 20 bucks? Yeah,
1: and is the world better off if that art all belongs to some rich dude? Right. And we sold the farm for as much money as it was worth and then <clears throat> fed the poor for a day? Mm-hmm. Or is it do, better that yeah. a, anyone, rich or poor can go appreciate this art for an affordable price, you know, because the church in her wisdom has said this is beautiful and should be shown to everyone. Every human being should be able to see this.
2: I've even, that, and I I heard a, I don't know what blog it was on one time I was reading, but the, this guy had, had a conversation with someone that was very much like that. Like, why does the church have all these, you know, hidden treasures and nice things? Like, why don't they just sell all those and give the money to a poor and you know, sell the, the nice churches here and give that money to the poor and go back to being this, like, you know, simple church. And I guess, so this this guy was saying, the person he was talking to, he just looked right at him and was like, why do you hate the poor so much? Like, why don't you respect them? And it just, like, totally took the person off guard. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and he made this point, and he was like, if you talk to, you know, a, even a homeless person that, like... That lady that you know that goes to the eight a.m. mass or whatever, if someone told her like, "Hey, we're gonna um, we're gonna sell this church and you know we're gonna feed feed you know all the homeless you know for a week or whatever in the area," isn't that great? Like, I would guess she would probably be irate. Yeah, because that's her church. <laughs> right. You know, like that's her it's church. Where she as she goes, much as anybody else. It's the yeah. only
0: place that will let her in. Mm-hmm. It's the only place that will let her in. Yeah, she's probably not going to be happy if they're telling it. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: yeah. But even even stuff, you know, a step up, like the, the really beautiful stuff, the fine art, the things mm-hmm. like that that the church has. Yeah, admittedly, do the poor get to experience it as much as? Um, maybe the, the upper class or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, no, but it's still, it's still there for them, you know, like Mm -hmm. they, in whatever respect they could, like that's still theirs to experience.
1: Well, the whole idea of selling the churches to feed the poor is based in anthropology that says that man doesn't really need God. Right. So what's the point of these churches? I think if you get down fundamentally, that's probably what it's about, yeah, that's true, yeah, it's much because deeper. the church exists to elevate the mind and the heart to God,, mm-hmm. and it's a human need. it has been since the very beginning we any civilization will have some fancy building that's about lifting your heart and your mind to God or the gods or whatever your civilization believes in, and to just think like, oh, we're so enlightened now that we don't need that, right, uh. It's crazy because people, people will do it in weird ways if they don't have a church to do it in, and so, rich and poor. I mean, Night Fever is a great example. Yeah. The cathedrals there in the heart of the city, and when you invite people in, you invite everybody in, and that's Flannery O'Connor's whole thing with, after the resurrection of Jesus, it wasn't just that Israel's and the Gentiles anymore. Uh, Here comes everybody. You know, everybody is now in this covenant. Welcome. Yeah. And when you see it manifested, like, okay, yeah, you're drunk right now. Yeah. Because you're walking to some bar and you're 22 years old and you have no idea what's going on. And you're just like doing what everybody else is doing. Or you're 50 years old and life has just broken you down. Somebody's still coming out to you in the middle of the night with a tea light to say, come in the cathedral and pray. Yeah. And if you want, you can go to confession. Yeah. And just listen to some music that's praising God. And all these people are saying yes. Yeah. One... <laughs> that's beautiful. Even for five minutes to just come. And they got something that nobody else has given away. You go to 7-Eleven or whatever other place in yeah. downtown Chicago. Only in the cathedral were people doing that. Yeah.
2: That's very true. The Cardinal Dolan has this great in his I think the book is called The People of Hope, which is awesome. So it's a long interview between him and a reporter. Have you guys read it?
0: Mm-mm. I haven't.
2: It's really good. But he uh, at one point he talks about he wants I think he calls it like a, affirmative orthodoxy. So it's this you know he talks about it very well. But he wants people to know what the church is for, like not what the church is against. Mm-hmm. He wants the he wants that to be what we lead. With. So Father Barron's a great example of that as well. But the reporter asked him something along the lines in the book. It's like, okay, so what is your vision of what the church should look like? And he talks about how it's like every other Saturday morning or something like that, he walks down to this parish that must be walkable from the New York Cathedral. Mm-hmm. And he just goes to, he just like gets in line and goes to confession. And he, I think there might be like Franciscan friars that hear the confessions So he said in this, like, one church, you know, in this one place on earth, he's stood in line for confession before and looked, just looked out, and he said that he has the Archbishop Cardinal of New York in line with other sinners to have some young Franciscan priest hear his confession. He sees, like, a young, super happy You know, just on top of the world, young couple coming out of marriage prep, walking down the church. He sees an old widow, like, crying in the pews, praying. He sees a a mom and her two kids, like, lighting a candle at some point in the church, and, like, all these other things going on. And he's like, that's the church. Just Mm -hmm. right there. All those things going on at once in one single space. Mm -hmm. Isn't that cool, though? That's cool. It reminds me of.
0: Well, St. Paul's outside the wall. Or is it St. Peter's outside the loop? St. Peter's inside
1: the loop. St. Paul's outside the walls is in Rome. Right, right, right. St. Peter's St. In, in the loop. Yeah. St. St. Peter's yeah. in the loop. Yeah. St. Peter's outside the loop. Is it, is it St. Peter's outside the loop? St. Peter's in? Loop, loop-de-loop? I don't know. hoopty loops? <laughs> the hoop-de-loop? de hoops? hoop de But yeah, I think it's St. Luke and Peter. I think it's
0: Peter's <laughs> in the loop. Let's get him out. Something like that. Is that.
1: That's no, St. Peter's in the Loop, that's awesome. It's got this huge crucifix that like oh, hangs yeah. over yeah. State Street or something. Yeah. I can't remember what it is, but it's right on the lake, uh, off of Lakeshore Drive.
0: Well, it's. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just a little ways off of yeah the main drag there. But uh, my dad said that, you know, I've been down there a couple times and, and uh, actually went in with my pops and. He's been working in Chicago now for like 20 years, something like that. And I guess they don't do it anymore, but uh, they used to have mass going on 24-7.
1: They have adoration all the time and confessions all the time. And confessions
0: all the time. (laughs) time. But he said that throughout the day, like as a priest would be finishing the mass, he would be walking off the side Mm -hmm. and another priest would pass him walking on with like a new chalice (laughs) and patent and everything ready to celebrate another mass. But you go in there, and there's confession lines, and mm-hmm. I mean, there's just all. You will never, you're you will never be sure of who you're gonna see when you mm-hmm. go into a Catholic church. You, there's no specific demographic. There's no specific mm-hmm. age. There's no, there's no specific social class. You will see them all. Mm-hmm. There's no there's absolutely no discrimination to it, and it's just so beautiful. It's that whole thing where it's like after the resurrection. This is an everybody thing, yeah <laughs> this is an, if you're a human being, come on in right. It doesn't matter where you are. There's a kid tonight at our fieldette he's one of our volunteers. he's a really good guy, and he's he's uh he's he's not totally Catholic, but he is he's just kind of finding it. he wants it bad, but uh he said the same thing. It was kind of like um we we were telling him Larry, we want you in the church, like we want you bad, we miss you. This is me and Michael Bremer telling him this. And he's like, "No, I know, I know. I'm just not there yet. Like, I'm not ready to. I'm not ready to get there. I'm not ready to enter yet. Like, I'm not where I need to be. Like,
2: the, you hilarious. are wrong. Yeah. <laughs>
0: this is the wrong thinking. I need to uh, get ready. Right. I need to prepare myself so that I can be holy enough to enter into the mm-hmm. church. I'm like, Larry. None of us are saints. Like, this is not a place that you're trying to get to. Like." This is the road to get to where we're going. Man. It's like t-
1: saying, I need to take a s- dry steel scrubber to my skin before I jump in the shower.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's not going to work, you know? You look at the the steel, whatever, is going to be muddy. Mm-hmm. You're going to end up being worse than, than what you thought. But every, it's for everybody. There's no...
1: Yeah. nothing there's Except for need. you. What does that mean? I don't know,
2: I'm just done talking. Are we ready? Okay. Three dogs north are Juice, Seabiscuit, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundaline Seminary. It may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.